This morning I would like for us to uh, consider a passage of scripture from the book of Hebrews in our New Testament. The first four verses of the very first chapter, it's going to be on the screen, and I invite you to follow along carefully, and if you would like to, there are Bibles with the hymnals there. If you didn't bring your own, you may open, and the page number is listed for you in the worship folder. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you're able, stand please as uh, I read aloud God's word. Long ago... God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I read one Bible commentator this week who said that the book of Hebrews is most well known for what we don't know about it. Uh, We do not know exactly who wrote the letter to the Hebrews, the Hebrews letter in our New Testament. Uh, We don't even know exactly to whom it was addressed. But we do know that whoever the recipients were, were going through a very tough time. They were confused. They were being mistreated. uh, They were sacrificing a great deal for following Jesus And uh, they were struggling. And what they needed more than anything was to see Jesus Christ clearly. They needed to see his uh, amazing work and his fascinating person. They needed to experience Jesus Christ because the writer knew if they experienced Jesus Christ, they would experience God. And after all, We're all hungry to experience God. Now, we may put it in different terms. Uh, We may say we're struggling for meaning in life, for direction. Why am I here? Where am I going? What's it all about? How does life have value? But at the heart, that question is a hunger to know and experience God. And the Hebrews writer says, if you could just see Jesus you would see all of God you need to see and understand. In fact, he uses a metaphor uh, in verse 3. He says that Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of God's very being. The language was the language that was used in minting coins back in first century when the the press uh, came down upon upon that coin to to create the image of the emperor on the coin. And the, the image was to be the exact likeness, the, the uh, imprint of his, of his character and being. And the Hebrews writer says that Jesus Christ is, is God's minted coin, the exact likeness. In fact, you'll remember uh, in that famous John chapter 14 when Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. 
no one comes to the Father except by me, uh, one of the disciples asked, we just need to see the Father. And Jesus said, maybe a little bit impatiently, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen everything you need to see and know about God. That's an audacious claim. That's a bold claim, isn't it? That's fascinating. And in these four brief verses, the Hebrews author is holding up Jesus Christ as one would hold up a a precious diamond. And he's turning it slowly in several different directions so that the light is reflecting off of it and so that it's sparkling and showing us different dimensions of its beauty and its richness. And he's holding up Jesus to say, this is how rich our Savior is. This is who he is. And I want you to see very slowly all that he is, or at least some of who he is and what he is. For one thing, the Hebrews writer says, he is the cosmic Christ. Uh, You know, sometimes we make Jesus a little too tame and a little too parochial. He's sort of our errand boy to get us out of jams with sin, and he's the one we go to in a crisis, but he's sort of local, and it's as if we think he's limited. No, he's the cosmic Christ. Scripture says in these verses, he's the heir of all things. He created all the worlds, plural. He sustains everything with his words. He started everything. He's in the midst of everything. He sustains and keeps everything moving. He is the cosmic Christ. And don't you suppose that these people who first read this letter were blessed. Their lives were being torn apart. They were confused. Has our hope been misplaced? Have we, have we really trusted in God for nothing? Don't you know it blessed their hearts to understand that the one who stood at the beginning of history and the one who will stand at the end of history is the one who's taking care of them in their daily struggles? Don't you feel that sometimes? Like this world is just getting too mixed up? Things are just going too crazy? And there are times when you don't know if you can make any sense out of it? And you're struggling, but to know that the one who was at the beginning of history and who will stand at the end, who sustains everything in between, is the one who will care for us. The cosmic Christ, who's over nations... And by the way, this is the, this is the thrust of our mission enterprise as a congregation, that we, we don't just live in Cole County, we live in the world. The cosmic Christ. Some of us who are on the recent mission trip to Ukraine were reminded. Some of you who are on the trip to Kenya were reminded. All you have to do is travel a little bit to understand God is doing some amazing things in the world. The seminary with which we partner in Lviv, Ukraine, is, has grown so much in the last five years that our partner, since our partnership began. Burgeoning with students. Had 200 new students enrolled the day we, the day we left. Uh, the local church we are partnering with, it's a new church plant that Ulysse Pronin pastors. Uh, growing. 
young adults everywhere going to churches hungry for the gospel. If you want to see what God is doing in the world, don't just read the news or watch the news. If you want to see what God is doing in the world, look to Jesus Christ. He's the exact coin-minted impression of God. And what Jesus Christ is doing in the world is amazing. As his life is permeating through all kinds of barriers and boundaries that humans might create. But for all the wonder of this cosmic Christ, breathtaking description, there is this personal intimate connection that the Hebrews writer touches on when he describes Christ as the one who made purification for our sins. So he's not just the cosmic Christ, he's the great priest. But if you read the rest of Hebrews, wait a minute. The imagery gets all strange because Jesus Christ is not only the priest, he is the sacrifice. He's the offering. He's the one who died for our sins. He made purification for our sins. That means our sin, our guilt, our shame, all of that is taken care of by the cosmic Christ who becomes personal Savior, and through his blood, our sins are erased. There's a curious phrase that the Hebrews writer uses, is that after Jesus made purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Now, you may just rush over that and think that's not too important, but I want to pause and ask, why did Jesus the great high priest, after he himself was the sacrifice for our sins, after making purification for our sins, after paying for our sins, why did he sit down? I think there's a logical answer. He sat down because he was done. He'd finished. Remember Jesus saying on the cross, it is finished? See, if you read Hebrews carefully and the Old Testament corollaries to it. The Israelite priests had to continually stand on their feet and continually move about the altar, continually making sacrifices over and over again, year after year. They could never sit down because they were always standing. Always there's a new sacrifice to make. Always there's a new sin to cover. But Jesus Christ did it once and for all. One of the favorite phrases in the book of Hebrews once and for all. Once and for all, Jesus takes care of our sin, our guilt, our shame, and when he's done, he sits down. Don't you like that image? I'm not struggling here. This is not a close call. I'm just going to sit down because the work's done. Now it's up to you to respond. God who spoke through our, to our ancestors through the generations in many and various ways in these last days has spoken through his son. He is God's exact imprint. The imprint of God's being. I think this goes a long way. This is the simplest 
And the clearest answer to people who are troubled by Old Testament scriptures about violence in the Bible, about wars in the Bible, about mistreatment of women, particularly in the First Testament, about uh, implications of slavery in the First Testament, the simplest answer is to say, don't spend your time there, don't camp there forever. Look at God's last word. God's best word. If you want to know God's heart, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God feels about you and about the world and about injustice and about those mistreated, look at Jesus. He's God's exact imprint. If you want to know the Father's heart, look at Jesus' heart. I also find this passage of Scripture helpful when I have dialogue with people about other world religions. Occasionally somebody will say to me, well, don't other religions teach some of the same great teachings of Jesus? True. Uh, The golden rule, do to others as you have them do to you. Variations of that appear in other great world religions. That's true. But I like what one pastor said one time. He said, you know, there's a difference with Jesus. In Jesus, for the first time, We see truth not merely taught, but embodied. There's no distance with Jesus between what he says and who he is. There's no distance with Jesus between who he claims to be and what he lives out. All the great religions of the world point to something. Jesus Christ has the audacity to point to himself and to say, Not there is the way, there is the truth, there is the life, but to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that bold statement is true because he backed it up with his life and death and his resurrection. And I have found, frankly, that people today who reject Jesus Christ, and you may be one of them, you admire his teachings, but you're not willing to commit yourself with allegiance to be his follower by faith. I found that people who reject Jesus Christ mostly are not rejecting Jesus Christ. They're rejecting a distorted caricature of him. A distorted caricature of him. Because who Jesus is is absolutely compelling and absolutely magnetic and marvelous. And so... God, who has spoken to us in various ways, through various means, has in these last days spoken through his Son. The Word of God did not finally come as an idea to be debated or as a philosophical concept to be studied for ages. God's truth came as a person to be experienced, to be known, beloved, and to be followed, to be obeyed, and to be followed. God, who spoke to our ancestors in various ways and means through the centuries, has in these last days spoken through his Son, who is the exact imprint of God's very being. Amen.